Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Bernoy, and today we're talking about the bottom rung on Maslow's hierarchy of needs for building a therapy practice. <laughs> and that is where we practice, the shelter of the work that we do. Yes, it's so important, and I think it's pretty daunting to folks to figure out where they want to practice, where they want to spend their time, what they want to do as far as setting it up. It can be pretty fun as far as setting up shop, you know, kind of playing house a little bit. You can, depending on how you get the office space, you can furnish it, you can paint the walls. I did that with my most recent office. I got to paint the walls the color I wanted. You can kind of create this little space that's all yours, but depending on your budget, depending on where you're located, depending on what you want to put into it, it can be kind of overwhelming because you can't get the cute little space with all the stuff you want necessarily. And then you have to kind of look around and figure it out. You've been in a few different offices, Kurt, right? I think I'm up to about seven offices throughout my career. And (laughs) part of this is that I do have two separate offices that I practice out of at any given time, just in a couple of different geographic areas within the Los Angeles area. But my number one rule is you really want to look at your location, that there are a lot of things that you might not consider in going into something. And especially for people who have not really started in a practice before, really are trying to establish themselves. One of the first mistakes that I made was I picked a gorgeous office that overlooked the marina, all the sailboats. And what it did is it cut out half of the geographic distance from which people (laughs) could drive to me. So (laughs) half of my marketing area was just ocean. And especially for my particular population, it was also an area where there wasn't a lot of young families with teenagers and with kids that were really looking to come into therapy. So I had a couple of strikes against me just from the very beginning, but it was a gorgeous office. Yeah, it sounds like a beautiful place to practice, but if you can't get anybody to go there, it doesn't matter. My first office was in a cool building. It was actually pretty okay as far as the setup. I did the thing where I got my couch and my art on the walls. It was great. For me, the thing that was kind of a strike against it was it was far from my home. So I had to drive a long distance to get there. You know, there's a whole story about why I practiced there. So it was far from my home, which was made it kind of unsustainable for me, you know, personally. But there also wasn't free parking. It wasn't super expensive, but it was something where I just, I felt kind of bad that I didn't have 
free parking available or plentiful parking. And now I look at like West side folks and I was like, well, (laughs) (laughs) in Los Angeles, there's so many places where people have to either pay for parking or park on the street and walk a distance. And so it it actually wasn't that bad, but for where I was, that was one of the things where I was like, well, next time I want to make sure I have plentiful free parking in my office. And I do at my current office. And one of my offices has fairly plentiful street parking as long as the street cleaning hours are not active. But my other office, it's almost entirely paid parking around. And I've made a decision that in order to keep my session costs as low as possible is that I don't validate parking. Mm. And it's something that I do end up having some conversations with my clients about. And most of them, when I do discuss that with them, they're pretty much fine with that. As far as your point on how far you're willing to drive, it's a distance question, but it's also a time question. I know some therapists that don't want to drive more than 15 minutes to get to their office, which is what one of my office's situations is. My other office is probably about 15 miles away from my house, and that drive can be anywhere from 20 minutes to two hours in Los Angeles traffic. It's a place that I'm continuing to stay in because I'm well-established there and have a pretty robust practice. I'm committed to a lease for several more years now, so it's not something that I'm easily just going to back out of right at this point, but it's something that also comes up with a lot of personal preference too, that some people don't mind the traffic. I'm also kind of fortunate in that my drive times to there during not peak traffic hours. It's really a personal choice, but it's something that you want to consider before you really sign into something that there might be a wealthier area of town that you want to try to establish yourself, but if you're not willing to really stick with that drive, then it's maybe not worth it. For me, when I moved my office closer to my home, I basically cut about 10 hours of driving from my week, which is huge. I was not necessarily even going during high traffic times, but there's just always traffic. It was always about an hour, hour and a half. And so twice a day for five days a week, that makes a big difference. And so for me, it was looking at how do I really find a place that ticks as many of the boxes location-wise as I could. And so I looked at what's close, but not so close that I feel like I'm going to be running into my clients every single minute of every single day. Where does it have free parking and is a place that I want to spend time in? And I actually think I found a pretty good office, but there's a lot of people who practice near me that would not work in the area that I'm in because as far as higher price clients, people are willing to pay a higher fee. They want to be closer to the beach or slightly different locations. And so I've chosen where I've chosen and realized that my clientele, there's going to be a mix. There's always a mix, but I'm not in a super posh, fancy office. I've been able to keep my office costs down and that's that works for me and, and for who I work with. So what are some of the other things that you look at as far as location goes? You've talked about free parking. You've talked about distance from your office. Anything as far as referral sources? Because I know that that was one of the heavy influences into why I chose my current place in West Los Angeles is because a number of the connections that I had that were looking to refer me clients were kind of based in a geographic area around where this location ended up being. So I kind of chose based on where my village, professional village, my referral village is kind of centered around. I think that's smart. When I first got my office, I am somebody, I went all in. I got my own office. I'm on the lease. I have it 100% of the time. And so I didn't really know as many people right when I got my office because I was moving from community mental health into private practice. So I went to a place that felt good for me personally, and then I built the referral network, the professional village, quote unquote, uh, around me. 
And so for me, the location ended up being really where am I comfortable and and what do I want? I think were I to, to get an office now and start fresh, I might choose a slightly different location, but the bill would be a lot higher for my monthly rent. And that's something that would be a little bit hard for me to swallow, I think. I've been willing to pay, not overpay, but pay a fair amount to be in a building with other therapists. That to me, having a building management or building owner that understands the nature of what we do, that we want soundproofing on our walls, that we want air conditioning after five o'clock, especially in some of the warmer states where it gets regularly over 100 degrees during the summer. To me, those types of situations hold a professional building atmosphere that is really reflective of the type of professional services that we offer. I haven't always been in these situations, and I've really found that there is almost a premium that I'm willing to seek out to be in one of these buildings that does hold that professional atmosphere. I think that's smart, too, because I think there's so many people who avoid kind of the buildings that have a million therapists in them because of competition. And I I think that's short-sighted. I'm not worried about the competition of being in a building with a bunch of other therapists because it's not like we're in a profession where somebody just walks into the building and looks at the building directory and says, hey, I'm going to go into Kurt Widhelm's office and just see him for an appointment. That by the time most of the people who come to my building arrive there, they've got an appointment set up. There's a purpose for them being there. So I've never really shied away from being around my competition and really relied on my ability to market myself to stand out from the noise of everybody else who's around me. That's so true, because I think when you find an office space that is welcoming to therapists as well as therapy clients, it can be a boon. I actually have been in an office building before where the property manager didn't get therapist need to a certain extent, but, but there was mental health stigma that I was feeling, like they were kind of worried about the clients coming in and what they were going to be going through, and it's like the people in our office, in the whole building, the therapists are, are not seeing you know, high intensity cases. We're seeing kind of typical cases, but the property manager had this stigma going on. And so we always felt like a little protective of our clients. There's also a professional atmosphere too that we're looking at that when we had been seeking out one of our offices before we had really found it, we had approached a real estate agent with looking for office space for us. And he returned several hundred different locations that were with us. But One of the things that we immediately ruled out was anything in a strip mall was immediately gone. (laughs) You know, we're not better call Saul trying to establish kind of a professional practice (laughs) right next to a nail salon that we do hold ourselves to looking and most of the time acting professionally. Yes, yes. Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thryzer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thryzer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thryzer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. 
Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. One of the things I've heard from folks when they've started working with realtors to find a new office or to find their first office and the thing that they've faced, and it sounds like this is something you might've faced too, is when you're working with kid clients that there's oftentimes either other therapists who don't necessarily want to have kids in their space, or there are property managers or or building owners that are really hesitant to have kind of kids-based businesses come in. What was your experience with that when you were looking for a place? So this is something that actively is still happening for me. And part of this speaks to the competition end of things, but one of my biggest competitors for working with kids and adolescents is one of my sweet mates. His office is like four feet away from mine. Mm. Situated in between our offices, at least the doors to our offices, is a couples therapist who works with adults. And on the other side of the suite is another art therapist who works with couples and very quiet people. And so we have two ruckus offices that... (laughs) You know, I I think with my clientele, and my clientele seems to appreciate this, that Nerf guns are an appropriate therapy tool. And <laughs> maybe throwing basketballs against the wall, not full-size basketballs, but like Nerf basketballs against the wall or the door is a healthy expression of aggression. And I have one sweet mate who agrees with me, and I have a couple who... We have respectful conversations about the type of clientele (laughs) that we need to be aware of. So it's something where it's not like my population has changed since we signed our lease and we all get along. We're all very friendly with each other, but we're adults and we have to have good conversations about it. And it's sometimes something that I can even turn back to my clients and be like, okay, my sweet mates are talking about the noise that we're making and you know to really model for kids that it's a something to be respectful and mindful about and i've been able to turn that into learning lessons too but sometimes just being around those kids situations can really impact what you do i have a friend uh her office is situated in between two pediatric dentist offices And she works a lot with trauma and she works a lot with eating disorders and really deep, impactful work that is broken up several times a day by screaming children on either side of her. (laughs) Oh no, oh no. That's really hard. Yeah, I like that you're talking about these kind of respectful conversations and and that piece because I think that's another thing that we don't necessarily think about when we're getting office, especially with other people or when we have neighbors that might be making noise or that kind of stuff. I think it's it's something where we really have to use all of our skills and, and put on our professional business faces and say, okay, Let's all get along. Let's figure out how we can navigate through this. But if you can avoid it, you know, and not be next to the pediatric dentist office, that might be something to be aware of going in. My beautiful office on the marina, this was somebody who moved in after I was already established there, but somebody moved in right underneath me who is a movie editor for action films. (laughs) So several times throughout the days, there was giant car crashes and gun shootouts right underneath the work that I was doing. So it is something where you do want to be aware of 
what your immediate neighbors are, but this also segues into the neighborhoods and what surrounds your office, that you can have a very professional building, but it could be in a area that is being upgraded. There might be a lot of construction around. There's something that we kind of face here in the Los Angeles area of a growing homeless populations where there might be a number of people who are on the sidewalks and in doorways of kind of businesses in transition. So it's not just looking at what the office is, but also what the atmosphere is for your clients from the time that they're going to leave their car until the time they get inside. Mm -hmm. And especially with kind of transient populations around an office, it's something that you consider as far as your client safety goes when they're returning to sessions or returning from sessions if it's late at night and they might not feel comfortable going out to their cars afterwards. That reminds me of something that's happened with my office and it's this kind of safety issue, but also kind of a, a kind of a psychological issue in some ways. My office settles. It's on, you know, kind of Adobe soil. I think it's something where the building kind of expands and contracts, but it settles and, and the doors, the door frames get kind of, they get a tweaked a little bit and the front door to the office, so into the, into the waiting area, will oftentimes get stuck. So sometimes people will be trying to come into the office and they're like, oh, the door's locked. And then, you know, kind of call or text and like, hey, I'm outside and you, the door's locked. And it's like, no, no, it's not. But you know, so we try to keep it kind of ajar a little bit. But there's times when people, you know, the previous client will go properly close the door and I'll be walking out with a client and a lot of my clients have have trauma in their past and they'll go to open the door and they can't get the door open and it's terrifying for them it's like I can't get out and so oftentimes when when that's happened and the door is settling first off I make sure I talk to my property manager as soon as possible because it's mm -hmm. not okay and it's also you know fire hazard you know i know the tricks to get out but still it's not okay but i also try to make sure that i'm walking them to my own door to get out of the <laughs> building uh, so that they can you know i can make sure that we can navigate through that door properly but i think for me with a building that's a little bit older with a building that is undergoing repairs now and again i find that i have to be in constant communication with my property manager so that I can make sure that my clients have an, a decent experience, that they're not, you know, going into bathrooms that are overflowing, that they're not getting, you know, stuck in my office, that they're not, you know, having those problems. And, that, and so I think, you know, really making sure that we're taking care of those conversations with our property manager, with our neighbors, that kind of stuff I think is important. One of the things to consider too is when you're moving into a new space is if you have any say at all in what the layout of the office or the suite might be. And I've been in situations where I've signed on to a new lease as the building was kind of undergoing some upgrades anyway. And so what the building had allowed for myself and my suite mates to do was they gave us a construction allowance to redesign our suite. That's and cool. So we were able to have them knock down walls. We were have them put new walls in where we wanted them to. We were able to pick out the flooring. And it was really awesome because we got to have our input on pretty much everything. One of the conversations that we had was having a separate entrance for the therapist versus the clients. And ultimately, in that situation, we decided not to because of the amount of floor space that we would lose 
throughout the rest of the suite. I've been in other situations signing on to new leases with buildings where I'm like, so what about upgrades? You're doing these kinds of things. And the building managers or the property managers have said, well, it's going to cost you. Mm. And, yeah, and you have to use our contractors. Awesome. <laughs> so those aren't situations that I really stayed in for that long. And so it's kind of a your miles may vary sort of situation. But mm-hmm. uh, if you do have an opportunity to really design things or make things your way, that's when you really want to look at things from not only your perspective as the therapist, but also spend some time in a potential waiting room and see how you want your clients to feel in the waiting room. Yeah, that's really a good point. Cause I think I've not had the opportunity to do the build out, you know, designing the office, but I've certainly sat in a, in a waiting room as a, as a colleague, as a client. And I've also had my own offices. And I think that there's a lot that you can do when you get to design the space. And I think for me, I always try to figure out what are the most important amenities to include. You know, some people don't have just based on the office, they don't have a waiting area. And so, you know, clients are coming and knocking on the actual, you know, treatment room door. So it sounds like you guys really wanted to make sure there was a waiting area. There's the, do you have a call light system, which adding later is something that ends up costing a pretty penny oftentimes, but in the, you know, if you're building out anyway, the wiring's not that complicated. And I think there's also some people have, you know, kind of staff or lunch rooms, storage rooms, file rooms, something that where people can go outside of their treatment rooms to, to hang out, to eat lunch, that kind of stuff. And each decision costs money and really can impact how big your treatment room is, how big the waiting room is. And so it's important to be thoughtful about what your particular practice is. If you work with primarily with individuals and you have, you know, the desire to kind of put some of these other things in, you don't need that much space. But if you do a lot of group therapy or if you work with kids and you want to have more of a playroom, you want to keep all of that in mind and not just kind of take whatever you can get because sometimes it just doesn't match and it makes it really hard to do the work. I agree. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. Our waiting room in one location, it has the kind of community noise machine that makes it kind of sound like an airport in the waiting room, but it helps to (laughs) ensure that feeling of privacy once you're in the therapy rooms. We have water and tea as refreshments for clients readily available out there. We have a number of magazines, and since we do work with kids, we have probably the most important, which is the Highlights magazine. Which, <laughs> that, You're like a real doctor's office. It's like a real doctor's office. But it's a fairly nondescript waiting room. And we recently upgraded some of the furniture in there because one of the things that I recognized that I never did was sit in the waiting room chairs. And they were aging. And somebody described them once as, that's a potential death trap because they're starting to fall apart from wear oh, and tear. Oh, no. <laughs> so we've, we've had to make the decision of upgrading chairs, upgrading some of the other amenities there too. I've been in other waiting room situations where it's kind of your standard, almost like dentist waiting office, where it's 
comfortable chairs. You've got magazines. We've never really done anything as far as like putting a TV up or anything like that. But we want to balance kind of that. We don't want people to feel so comfortable that they can hang out there forever. But we do need to balance that sometimes parents have to sit in there for an hour plus while their child's in session. For me, the thing that I noticed about my waiting room is that there wasn't enough seats before group. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so I oftentimes, my, I think my group clients were able to adjust. A lot of them would come like right at group time so that they weren't stuck kind of standing in this little waiting area. But I think it is important to think about the family member experience, the people who might come a little early or, or have something to do later. Like, are the seats comfortable? Is there something for them to do? Is it going to feel awkward and uncomfortable for the people that are hanging out if they're a little bit early or, the, or there's, you know, kind of therapists are running late or that kind of thing? I think that's a good, good point. I think for me, the other thing that I found when I was, when I had a private practice, uh, while I was still working communal health, so it was really very part-time, I got this cute chair for my therapist chair. And it was the most uncomfortable thing ever. And that was one of the first things I changed when I went into full-time private practice. I was like, I can't sit in that chair for very long. And so I think there's also, you know, f- there's the function piece. There's also the design piece. I'm, uh, I'm still, I think, derelict in my duties to really update my office. It's very comfortable, but it's it's something where that it needs to be updated and upgraded. But I think it's it's something that each person has a different priority, and I think people really understanding what they want most and trying to stick to their guns on that can be really helpful. And I think that that's a huge point: is you want an office that reflects you, that you don't want to be in a situation where you're really practicing outside of what you're comfortable in, what your clients expect of you. And I recognize that not everybody's going to be able to jump right into that full-time lease and have design options and all this kind of stuff that you might be starting out as a sublease, but you want something that reflects you. When I moved into my most recent office that the previous therapist who was there was a lovely woman in her 80s, but I don't think that much of her furniture had really been upgraded since the 80s. Mm. And it did not reflect me at all. It was a lot of heavy, old wood furniture. And working with a younger population, I like the nicer, neater lines. I change the wall color from kind of this old beige to bright orange and (laughs) became a lot more reflective of me. And it didn't happen as quickly as I wished it had, but my clients that were there throughout that process really reflected back to me. Now it feels like your office. Mm -hmm. For people who can't do the full-time lease, that can't do, can't even change the wall color, for example, how do you recommend that they make the office theirs while they're there? Because I think that's the hardest part when you're, when you're subleasing or in a space for an hour, two hours, one day. How do you make that work for you? Because I've never done that. I, I guess I kind of did it for a little while and it felt a little awkward. People are like, oh, I like this office better. And it totally wasn't me. But I'm like, okay, whatever. It's short term. But how do, you, how do you recommend people do that, I guess? If you can hang up art on the walls or bring in something session by session that makes it Just feel a little bit more yours, something that you might refer to it, you might not. Uh, For a while, when I was subleasing by the hour, working with kids and teens, I'd make sure that I drug in a marker board so that way that there was something that we could write on, we could draw on together. It wasn't something that was permanent in that situation, but it was something that allowed for me to have something to interact with in the room that felt natural to the way that I worked. 
I'm not somebody who's going to work in a completely barren type room, kind of that minimalistic sort of look. That's not reflective of me either. I like to have drawers full of stuff that we can pull out, but it's not something that's really sitting there out in front of everything and kind of distracting either. So whatever you can do to add to a situation, however minimally, is better than being in a situation that's completely out of your control. I did that when I was doing uh, the the sublease for a short period of time. I had kind of my my box of tricks that I would bring in that would that would reflect the work I was going to do. I moved chairs around a little bit so it fit the configuration that worked for me. I think another thing, and and this is what I would recommend to folks who are looking to sublease, whether it's by the day or by the hour, or even you know I think looking to sublease when it's not subleasing a room for full time, is try to find an office and an office mate or, or someone, you know, kind of a lease lessor, the person who's the main person on the lease, that their style is close enough to yours that it doesn't feel so foreign. I think for me in the, the one office that I, I was subleasing for, you know, just a few hours a week, the person was was a little bit more kitschy than I was. They had, you know, it was, it was very girly, which I'm not super girly. You know, it was just, it was one of those things where I just, it felt like I was kind of uncomfortable in my skin in that space. And, and once I was able to move into my own space again and really design it the way I wanted to, it felt more comfortable and it felt easy. So I think were I going to be there longer, I probably would have tried to identify a way that I could get into a space that the, the, the general design was more close to my own. So we're talking about the leases too. And this is something where if you are signing onto a full-time lease and you do intend to sublease, you want to make sure that you're really looking through the contract for those kinds of stipulations that sometimes, uh, especially with professionally managed companies, but this could even be the solo building owner too, are very hesitant to have people in the building that are not a part of the lease. And it was something that I've noticed on one of the lease contracts for one of the offices that we had right in the language was no subleasing allowed. And this comes back to knowing that the building owners understand the type of profession that we have, that we pointed this out right away and they immediately granted us a waiver to that because of the nature of our business, that they understood that a lot of times therapists start out in kind of a subleasing sort of way, the subcontracting sort of way. And so they were readily available to us to be able to make that kind of change. I'm not sure that everybody is that conscious of it because I think there's a lot of people who will have either they'll have a lease or they'll have a sublease and then they start allowing people to use their space and, and take some rent. And I think this is something where people really need to be able to understand the contracts and, and understand if they have the, the option to sublease to mm-hmm. someone, whether it's a full day, a full office, a full, you know, by the hour, because anybody that's not on the lease that is renting the space for any period of time, whether it's one of the rooms and a suite full time or jumping from one of the, you know, jumping from room to room for an hour at a time, both of those are subleases and you want to make sure that you're doing it above board. Cause I think that it can get you in trouble as the person on the lease. If you don't have that clear upfront with a property manager. And this also goes to, you should have a formal subleasing contract with anybody who's leasing from you as well that outlines expectations, outlines prices that you're charging them, outlines how they get their time, what their times might be, what kind of notice for either of you to end that agreement. I think that we 
in general want to help each other out. And sometimes that niceness that we bring along with us and encouragement, especially with friends who are getting into the business, can sometimes get in the way of proper business decisions. Yes, I totally agree. And I think too often people will get into a big lease. They want a sublease. They've not necessarily looked at the contract to make sure that they can. And they also are finding a lot of people who are like, well, I want to rent it by the hour or the half day or that kind of stuff. And it can get really complicated. So in addition to looking at the contract, I think it's also making sure that if you're going to either jump into a sublease and and rent by the hour, the day, the minute, (laughs) um, or if you're going to sublease your own space, that you have a system to schedule, whether it's really sticking to one person per day per room, or if it's having an electronic kind of scheduling system. But having it be systematic is so important because I've seen people who have jumped into subleases and just felt awful because they couldn't get in the office space or it wasn't you know shared in the way they expected. And so I think being really systematic with that and, and running that piece like a business as well is so important. We can't just be nice. Like we have to make sure we're following the terms of the contract. And if we are subleasing, we need to make sure that we're doing that in a way that's fair and thoughtful. So we've said a lot. I don't know if there's more to say. I mean, I think this is one, like you said, this is on the bottom of Nestle's hierarchy of needs. We need to know where we're going to be practicing and we want to make sure that we make that as thoughtful and and comfortable for us as we can. We want to make sure that we're aware of the, the, the things we've agreed to. But in truth, in the long run, you know, a, ch- a couple of chairs, a safe space, confidential space is really all you need. But if you're thinking that you're going to really dig in, you want to consider some of these other things as well. Check out our show notes for information about this show and check out show notes for our other shows to find resources that we reference during our shows. Check out our social media. For therapists, you can join our Modern Therapist Survival Guide group on Facebook and connect with us more regularly throughout the week. And our website at mtsgpodcast.com. While you're on our website, check out our live events that are coming up as well. We have a law and ethics workshop coming up in May in the Los Angeles area, the personal branding of you. And our very exciting therapy reimagined conference coming up in October where we're going to cover 14 CEUs over the course of two days on all sorts of things dealing with the profession of being a therapist. And until next time, I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Vernoy. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months.